people ask me, I see young actors and creative people say, any tips, any tips? And I was like, you always be creative. There will be that day you have to figure out whether you can make a living at it, but you can always be creative. So to never give up on that. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I cannot imagine a guest more appropriate to represent the 200th episode of the Optimize Yourself podcast and all that we stand for than Ralph Macchio, a conversation which is frankly 38 years in the making. While Ralph clearly requires no introduction, the following is in honor of his illustrious career and his positive impact on both the world and me personally. Ralph Macchio is an actor, a producer, and a director obviously most well-known for his portrayal of Daniel LaRusso in the Karate Kid films and now the hit Netflix series Cobra Kai. He has also appeared on both stage and screen in notable credits including The Outsiders, Crossroads, and My Cousin Vinny. And most recently, he has also added New York Times bestselling author to his credits after releasing Waxing On the Karate Kid and Me, which, by the way, I cannot recommend enough. Probably comes as no surprise that I read the entire book in a single sitting. In one of the few rare occurrences where Ralph has made himself available for a long-form conversation, as opposed to doing the rounds on the talk shows for just a few minutes at a time, Ralph and I dive deep today into his life story, his successes, and his failures along the way far beyond just his role as Daniel LaRusso in The Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. But for all of you diehard fans, don't worry, yeah, we definitely discuss all of that too. Ralph shares his challenges with maintaining authenticity in both his performances, but also who he is as a person, a father, and a husband. Given his personal relationship with Pat Morita off-screen that then translated to his relationship with Mr. Miyagi on-screen, we also discuss mentorship and how it has shaped him. We honestly discuss how Ralph has managed the challenge of being pigeonholed as a single character his entire acting career 
And most importantly, I'm not sure this would be a proper conversation without discussing how to live a life that is defined by balance. Whether The Karate Kid was your Star Wars or you are literally hearing of Ralph Macchio for the very first time, there's no better way to say it. Today's conversation is going to inspire the shit out of you. All right, without further ado, my conversation with Ralph Macchio. To access the show notes for this episode with all of the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 200. I am here today with none other than Ralph Macchio, and let's be honest, he frankly requires no introduction. I'm going to give it a shot anyways. You, sir, are an actor, a producer, a director, and you are obviously most well-known for your portrayal of Daniel LaRusso in the Karate Kid films, and now, of course, the hit Netflix. Netflix series Cobra Kai. You've also appeared on both stage and screen in many other projects over the years. A few notable credits include The Outsiders, Crossroads, My Cousin Vinny, and a favorite of mine that is much lesser known, Wax On, Fuck Off from Funny or Die, which we might talk about a little bit later. You've also done the rounds on pretty much every major talk show known to mankind as the author of, by the way, congratulations, a now instant New York Times bestseller, Waxing On, The Karate Kid and Me, and I'm also very proud to say that I can call you both a colleague and a collaborator, even though you and I may not get to work together in person on a day-to-day -day basis, have spent the pleasure of the last four years working with you, if between myself and a computer monitor. So Ralph, this interview is 38 years in the making. I uh -huh. cannot tell you how much I appreciate you being here and sharing your time and your inspiration and your expertise. Oh man, it is my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it and, uh, and thank you, uh, you know, for having me and thank you for the incredible work that you do in uh, bringing Cobra Kai to life and sort of defining the spine of sometimes episodes that must feel, I don't want to say spineless because the scripts are great, but there is a lot to suss out and and that's no easy task. So, you know, I really appreciate uh, your hand in all of that. Yep, I, I'm sure that we'll talk more about that. And whenever people interview me about the process, I always say the simplest way to describe Cobra Kai is that it is deceptively difficult. Oh, mm -hmm. it's just a 30-minute comedy. It can't yes. be that hard. Hardest <laughs> show I've ever worked on in 20 years. Yeah. Um, deceptively yeah. difficult. And, you know, we could literally spend probably a three-part series just talking about the complexities of Cobra Kai, which we might do a little bit. Um, but I'm just more interested in you and your story. But where I want to mm -hmm. start is I've got a dollar. And I'm okay. going to be donating to your retirement fund, which is the I Was Daniel LaRusso Retirement Fund that you talk about in your book. Because I, too, like countless others, watched The Karate Kid and I was very, very young. And the theme that defined most, if not all, of my young life was bullying. Mm -hmm. I was constantly and incessantly the target of bullies. I grew up in a very, very small town in northern Wisconsin. It was the lowest income county and community in the entire state of Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is not necessarily known for being high income and metropolitan. So it was the right. lowest income of the lowest income and being very creative and highly intellectual. Let's just say that I was a punching bag for years and years. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially through incessantly watching the Karate Kid over and over and crane kicking the mattress that was attached to my wall and then getting myself into martial arts to essentially stop the bullying that I would say the most formative film of my entire youth was not Star Wars. The Karate Kid was my Star Wars. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I know that you hear that story all the time, but since I have the opportunity and I own the microphone right now, I wanted yeah, to make sure right. you got to hear that story too. Cause this really is a 38 years in the making interview and mm-hmm. the, the impression that that film and those ideas and your performance and everything else, it really led to a large portion of who I am as a human being and the work that I do on this program today. And I know that you hear that all the time. And I'm going to do well, my best to shy away from all the things you talk about over and over. But at least I had to I had to whittle that in to, to get us started no, in TSR. That's important. I mean, that's important because, um, you know, and, and credit the guys, you know, who create Cobra Kai and bringing together folks like yourself that have the reason that show works besides the talented writing and and everything else and the acting and all that stuff is because everyone cares so much. They treat it like the Bible, like like it is the scripture. Eve from the cast on from the OG cast from Billy and I and the OGs on down to the new kids and the next generation, there is that you step on the set or you step in the editing room or you step in the, you know, and this you know, to and to do the music score and what Zach and Leo do. There is such great care and 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 um from a perspective of it meaning something beyond just, hey, it was a cool movie when I was a kid. I remember I saw it with my brother. It's not that, you know, it goes deeper than that. And and so it's a it's a you know, it's I hear it all the time, but maybe not all at that level. And certainly what's beautiful about it is you get to work on this show. I mean, you are telling the continued story of these these characters and the inspiration of that to me is spectacular. And that's unique. Who gets to do what you do of something that was so important to you? And that's partially, you know, it's a big part of why I wrote the book. I, I have this unique experience that only I, these are stories only I can tell. And for the, and that was is pretty enlightening for me to dive into some of the, you know, never before told behind the scenes stuff and then realize things about myself or, you know, on how I, um, not just the nostalgia part, but how I, navigated some of the pitfalls that happened uh, in the 80s and how, why I didn't slide down that slippery slope of drugs and alcohol and partying and all the stuff that was just right there. So it's like self-discovery in writing. And that that's what I loved about uh, writing the book and, and, and telling a unique story as we're both nostalgic and contemporary relevance at the same time. Doesn't happen too often. And I'll, I can just give a, you know, a very quick shameless plug to the book and tell everybody that is listening for the love of everything that is holy, buy it and read it. Not because I just want to, you know, be nice and help you promote it. It is one of the easiest, funnest, most inspirational reads I've had in a long time. And I get sent a lot of books mm-hmm. and Thank I have you. a lot of authors on the podcast. And obviously, you know, I had a vested interest in making this right. one work. But at the end of the day, your book still could have sucked. It just could have. Right. 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 And I just was instantly sucked in and I sat and read the entire thing pretty much in one reading. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it could have just been here are some fun anecdotal stories about being the karate kid. But it just it goes so much deeper into the the deeper themes and the challenges that you went through, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of what it means to you, what it means to the uh, the the world at large. Um, And it's just it's a very honest portrayal of, you know, what it means to be one of the most iconic characters uh, from both it being your superpower and also kind right. of sort of being your kryptonite in a way yeah, too, yeah, right? No, for sure, sure. It's a you know, it's a blessing and curse uh, uh, at times. And um, but um, understanding that through that journey, 
there's been such richness, not just with 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 what has happened in recent times with the success of Cobra Kai and all that stuff, but you know, I have the stories to tell. That I'm the anti etro true Hollywood story, right? It's like where's the crash and burn re- come to redemption memoir? Where's the salacious whatever? Robert Kamen, who wrote the original film. First thing he said to me is, um, where is where is this guy? Where is the salacious? Where is that? And he says, and what's beautiful about this is that um, it's honest. And that was the kindest thing he could have said to me because that was the goal going in. I, I don't know how to write the I only know how to tell the truth for myself. And there was discovery, certainly. Um, And that was and there were many times where I would well up at the computer. One, because a lot of the people I was writing about are no longer here. Um, Two, I'm sort of carrying the baton forward. And three, you know, you look at things and do overs and stuff you would have done differently if you were a little bit wiser at the time. Although I always felt I stuck the landing and it's, it's sort of where you wind up. You know, and I think in that respect, it's been um, it's been positive. But thank you for for that. And I hope everyone gets out and reads it. And um, it's I'm really proud of it because there was no ghostwriter. Yeah. And that was very clear to me. And of course, I have the the benefit that few if probably no other interviewers have is that I get to watch you for 12 hours a day. I get to study every little mannerism. I I, I I can see the real person that shows up between action and cut. And when you said that Robert came and used the word honest, the word that I would use is authentic because I know I I, I watch you in your head all day long. I've seen the mannerisms Mm -hmm. and I can see when you constantly are stopping yourself because you're like, nope, this was not authentic. I need to give this another try. Mm -hmm. And one of my, I get asked the same question that I'm sure you do a lot, which is why does Cobra Kai work? Cobra Kai Mm -hmm. has no business working. It has no business being successful. When I first saw the trailer for it, when it came out right after season one, I'm like, how dare they? Are you kidding me? This is going to be garbage. Don't destroy my childhood. And then I hate watch the trailer. Right? Low expectations. And then of course I got sucked in. And after watching all of season one in an afternoon, I said, oh, I'm cutting this show. Whatever it takes, I will find the right people and I will cut it. But what I've learned about you is how important it is to be authentic. And the Mm -hmm. reason the show works is because everybody feels that way. Nobody's taking the show for granted. Nobody takes this legacy for granted. You show up every day and you're prepared. Billy shows up every day and he's prepared. Like the switch that Mm -hmm. I see between Ralph and Daniel or Billy and Johnny, like Mm -hmm. Johnny is the most unprepared kind of fly by the seat of his pants. But then you see the switch to to Billy and you're like, whoa, this guy's dialed in. Same thing happens with you, right? Where like the one of my favorite scenes, and I have a lot of favorite scenes we could talk about, but um, just like the most recent in 510, watching you switch Mm -hmm. between, I'm kind of pseudo kind of drunk all over the place back to Ralph. And it was just like, holy shit. Like, it's just, it's amazing right. the the process that you've developed to maintain that authenticity. I think above and beyond, that's really why the show works because it's just so important to maintain that authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And that's, and I, I look at, you know, to me, that's uh that's a life lesson, you know, as well. I mean, every, every day, you know, listen, we all have our armor. We all have our game face, you know, I can't I, I am what I am. I can't get out of it. I can't I'm I'm not a good enough actor to hide it, <laughs> maybe. Um, you know, and listen, we all have ourselves behind closed doors and, and what we are out in, in the world, but but for the most part, the true colors show, um, I believe. And I've always led my life that way. 
Um, and that's um, so in speaking to your earlier point, this is the type of conversation I don't get to always have, you know, what it's I mean, when you you ask me, OK, what's the thing you don't want to talk about that you have to talk about all the time? And it's interesting. At first, I said, well, I guess I don't feel like spending 45 minutes talking about why do you look so young for your age, you know, and all that stuff. But <laughs> hold on, on a second. Side, Let me delete that section from my notes. No, 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 no. But I'm going to put it in. I'm going to put it in. So now. And looking back at it, someone asked me a question. It was in a, a longer interview um, for a print uh, thing, and I don't know if it ever ever made it in. But it was a, we spoke about a little bit about defending our youthful appearance through middle school and high school. And then I started thinking more about that, and I thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about because that was sort of. I developed and I write I write about this a little bit in the book in the early in the becoming the kid chapter where that sort of LaRusso bravado, that sort of East Coast toughness that I had nothing to back it up with, which is kind of, you know, a blurred line between Ralph and, and LaRusso. The difference between Ralph and LaRusso is if I got my ass kicked by uh, five, you know, karate guys on the back of motorcycles, I probably would have left well enough alone. I would have found another way to walk to school. Uh, LaRusso walks straight back in, and obviously that's a better protagonist, a better, a better, uh, you know, a better movie. Um, but there was, there is a similarity in kind of, you know, I realized, I didn't realize this at that time, but I realized this as I, as I'm older, that, you know, my thing was, I always looked five years younger than, than I was. So when you're 15, you know, or 16 and you look 12, 11, I don't think I look 10, but I look like 12 and you're treated that way. Um, it, it becomes a, a you, I build up a defense to that, you know, it's sort of, you know, and armor is the word I used before it's sort of, you know, and it would be with quick witted sarcasm, sarcasm and, and irreverence and that, you know, so I developed that and a little bit of self-deprecation. I talk about that in some chapters too. Like even when I was on Letterman, I, I went straight to, you know, as I, as he was coming at me with, with the jabs and the punches, then I, I, you know, I took a shot back and then I, I poke fun at myself. And so that's sort of how I tap danced through, through that. But, you know, there were those times, you know, where during those, those years, those adolescent years, you look at, you know, the guy who gets the girl and the, the guy who's the quarterback or whatever. And I wasn't that guy, um, how I made up for that in the street cred, you know, which is not all that important, but at that age, that's kind of where you fit. Right. And so it's interesting in, in the thinking that through that, that a lot of that energy that might've gotten me the role in, in, in the karate kid came from this, you know, kind of cockiness and, and, you know, uh, humor, uh, whatever it takes to like, pay no attention to what might be really bothering me, you know, or that might be tough for me. Um, and uh, it's just something I, I realized uh, years, years later. Um, and there's a, there's a video out. Um, I think it's still out, but there was a, it was a video where I was, auditioning it's an audition and i was really young and they were kind of bringing drawing attention to how young i looked and it was it was bothered it was bothersome for me to watch because it kind of felt like a little like bullying in a way you know uh do you did you ever have a girlfriend would you ever have a girl the girls even are interested you know because i look so young and i was like 17 and so it just 
just interesting to look to have that footage as an actor. You get to you have this footage that I get to see years later. When I was in it, I couldn't see it. But now looking back as a parent or having gone through life, you know, that was something that that was part of my struggle um, that I figured out um, a way to fall forward, if you will, during those those uh, tougher times growing up. And it's a parallels with LaRusso, you know. Yeah, well, certainly the idea of falling forwards is uh, one that's apparent very much in Cobra Kai and also the idea of embracing fear. Uh, and there's a line yep. that you have in your book uh, that you essentially say that the the biggest mistakes in my life have come when I surrender to fear. Yep, and 100%. And that reminds me of, uh, you know, oddly enough, a scene in Cobra Kai. Um, and uh, the, you have this conversation. This is in episode 307. And I know it well yeah. because I edited that episode. Uh, but you right, have this Samantha. conversation with Samantha about this idea of overcoming your fears and facing them and you're not alone. And it sounds like a lot of the reason that you were able to embrace some of this and overcome it was like, you know what, I can let the fear define me or I can just embrace it and power through and embrace discomfort, which is one of the things you say you love about acting is yeah. I'm in this world and this culture or whatever it is. And I do immerse myself in it. Man, is it uncomfortable? It's scary. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And that scene, um, that section, that episode, which, um, you know, I really enjoy. I spent a, a, a Mary and I had uh, lunch together and we spoke about just anxieties, anxieties she had as uh, and anxieties I had spoke about. And I, I write to this in the book, spoke about my daughter at the time when there was a something was sort of a misstep uh, from my perspective as a parent where I didn't see something. My wife saw it. She was way ahead of me on it. And I kind of missed that. And, um, you know, because parenting is constantly failing and I've done it pretty well. I have two proud to say well-adjusted kids, but still failing, like, you know, even like two days ago. And and I'm good at it. You know, it is a tough job. You know, you want to, and when I say failing, it's just like, mm, could have, you know, maybe I could have handled this like that. But anyway, uh, back to the story with Mary, we, we shared some, you know, personal experiences of, of being, uh, Either either bullying or or uh, uh, anxieties, more anxieties. There's more anxieties, and um, and I recall something with my own daughter that I brought to that scene um, because I had been there. And I remember putting myself on her, sharing an experience of mine with my daughter, which all of a sudden put us on the same plane, if you will. And so that's in essence what was kind of written in the Cobra Kai uh, scene. A little bit different, but. You know, and that's where you can take those life experiences and and bring them bring them forth. And it feel I mean, working with Mary, she's you know, we have since day one, there's been just a really sweet uh, chemistry uh, between her and I. And it's, um, you know, they write to it, but it's there. And so so and and she's, you know, friends with my daughter, which is just mind blowing. Like the coolest thing is my kids now who are, you know, not little kids. They're adults. But this show and they champion it. And when there's a trailer, they're like, you know, blowing it out there and it's watch parties. And and so, uh, you know, they get to share in something that was such a huge part of my young life. And now it's a big part of their life. And that's that's just you know, pretty unique, you know, to have that. 
My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo Driven co-founder and CEO, Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, when it comes to this idea of talking about parenting and, you know, just like any other good parent, you know, a little bit mm-hmm. of self-flagellation about all the things you could do better. Um, yep. But I think this really comes to what, it, to me, like I said, I could have this conversation for eight hours and I still wouldn't cover my entire prep sheet. But if yep. there's one conversation that I want to have with Ralph Macchio, it's about the idea of balance. Because mm-hmm. as you say, in yet another episode that I worked on, Balance is my thing. And that's where I really believe from what I've read, the line is really blurred between Daniel Mm -hmm. LaRusso and Ralph Macchio. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are so many things that I could talk about in this book where like I literally I've destroyed your book. Like there are earmarks, there are dog ears, there's (laughs) writing everywhere. I I can barely read the writing because I've destroyed it. But there have been so many areas where I saw either you talking about a scene in the show that resonated with you. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, yep, that's one of my favorites. But Mm -hmm. I think that the biggest area when I was reading it, I literally almost broke into tears, was when you were talking about the most important or influential Miyagiism to you, which Mm -hmm. is the one that my father used on me to teach me about the idea of both balance and life and commitment. Mm -hmm. And that's about left side road, right side road. If there's ever, Mm -hmm. and it's hard for me to even talk about this. I'm like, I'm Mm -hmm. getting emotional just thinking about it. But when I was reading that to you, that was the most important one. Like that defines me more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about this idea of being a parent, trying to balance, you know, first being this icon and then not being the icon and -hmm. then being the icon again with some form of balance. Cause it's, it's really challenging to define what work-life balance is in today's society where there's, there is none. Yeah. That's it's it certainly is it certainly is beyond beyond challenging and uh you know and I didn't have 
you know, the technology, when I was going through the difficult part of it, it wasn't everybody with a phone was in a paparazzi and it wasn't all, all of that. I mean, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, buck down the middle gets squished like grape, you know, and then I, I, I alluded to a story where in my career I was scrambling, waffling, not being defined even in my marriage at that point and, and my, um, uh, and my work, you know, I, my, I was, I always talk about one foot in and one foot out, right? That's how I write to that. That's how I've done it. And I've lost opportunities in work and I've, I've lost, um, you know, you sacrifice certain things by not going all in. Um, and, and sometimes uh, to go all in will yield a better and richer end result as opposed to toe in the water and making sure I'm not going to tip over and, and drown and swallow too much chlorine, if you will, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but that's been, those have been my, that's been my sensibilities. And I, I'll, I'll gladly at my age now, what, what's been able, what I've been able to do. And obviously with the blessings of, of everything with the, the series and, and my family, uh, it's, um, it's what did I, I think I wrote that it was, uh, close to an embarrassment of riches in a weird way. Um, but I, um, I wait, I'm losing my train of thought, which happens at my young age. Just give me a half a second. Um, oh, happens so the, to all the, of us 37-year-olds. Right. Don't yeah, worry right. about there it. There you go, brother. <laughs> God love you. That's right. I'm stuck at that 37 mark. Um, those um, finding, navigating through it and landing on your feet, which I've been able to do, there were days that were not pleasant. 100%. Um, there were moments that I didn't know how I was going to provide for my family. I mean, it wasn't like the electric company was, you know, they weren't turning the lights off. I never, I was very conservative with, with whatever money I made. I was very careful. Um, you know, I did not, you know, overspend when I had it. And then when it all went away, I couldn't make ends meet and I was in debt. Never happened. Um, there were some chunks of time that that I was jumping from one stone to the next, not knowing if I'd slip. Um, but, but I had, you know, my family, my parents, my wife, uh, great amount of credit goes to my wife, who is a nurse practitioner and has been on the front lines with everything uh, last couple of years. And, you know, she both, and I write this in the, in the acknowledgement, she grounds and elevates me at the same time and my kids as well. Um, but there's no magic. There's no real, um specific reason that I've been able to not get in trouble or not go down a super dark path or not completely lose everything. I think it's I've I've been blessed with being surrounded by uh um the right team, if you will. But the knowing that owning your decision. Right. It's almost like there's no if the, the only bad choice is no choice um, that I guess that I, I use that and I probably wrote to that. Um, but there is a there is a flip side. Yes, there are some choices that are bad choices. OK, extreme choices. So so it's not the greatest piece of macho wisdom, but it's certainly if you make a choice and you own that choice for better, for worse, if you succeed or fail. Um, it is at least yours and you can navigate 
uh, through as long as you keep your your head clear and your eyes on the on the prize, um, which is how I've kind of done it, even when uh, it it hasn't been as successful. You know, I joke, I joke, I did this joke on a couple of the, I don't know if it was Trevor Noah or one of these shows, but it it was it was it was pretty interesting to to think that when I had some dry times during the late '80s or whatever. And uh, but my my baseball, like the New York Mets were in the World Series or and the Islanders were winning Stanley Cups. So when I was in L.A. and I wasn't working, I was running back to New York to go to the games and be with my family. Now, maybe if my team sucked, I would have been aimlessly walking down Sunset with a bottle of scotch in my hand, you know, stumbling into the Viper room and we'd have another story. I don't think so, because that's not. I was never really that interested, you know, I was always too cautious, too, too much, maybe, Zach, maybe too much of a control free. And I, I, as an actor, I find myself still battling this because I want to, I want to, I want to act it. I want to shoot it. I want to edit it. And I, I want to trust it, but I know if I do that and you can't, and at the end of the day, it's still going to get into your hard drive and you're going to figure it out with what the writers wanted. But that's, that's a part of who I am. I like to be prepared, maybe in control, but I know now it's better to be prepared and let go. If you're prepared, then you can deal with the lack of control. When I was younger, I wanted to control it all. Um, so, so part of that, I know I'm zigzagging all over the place, but it, it is all to the same point of how I balanced it, you know, and did not, you know, tip over too far. You know, that chapter, I really like that chapter because I start out with the me on the balance boat in the Miyagi scene. And then um, and I talk about those three areas of balance from the film and then and then go into three areas of balance in, in life. And, yeah, that was the fun part of writing the book, finding those things, those mm-hmm. narratives that were visual. And so I had these movies to talk about. And then sometimes I jump forward to Cobra Kai and talk about how they, that homage was paid and how I got to play it from the perspective of the, the the sensei instead of the student. That was, that was fun. I hope somewhere in there is a good answer, sir. There, there very much is, and I'm going to dig even <laughs> deeper into this. But one of the things that I want to point out that you said in a somewhat circuitous way, and I really want to put a fine point on this, mm-hmm. what many would probably assume is that this is Ralph's memoir, of which it is. But what you already did which you may even realize that you may not realize that maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't. You've also written a very strong and very rich personal development book. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to do both. Most people can write mm-hmm. memoirs and tell the stories. And most people can talk about here are the, the key mindsets and the theories and ideas to be successful, et cetera, et cetera. But what you've been able to do is you use both the story of your life and the story and mm-hmm. saga of the Karate Kid to make it very mm-hmm. much a personal development book, which yeah. to me, I mean, this was like my cornucopia of Christmas and all the holidays melded together because <laughs> I'm a personal development junkie and a Karate Kid and Cobra Kai junkie. I'm like, oh, my God, this is all I- of it in one book. <laughs> Right? That's awesome. So the, it's funny that you said exactly what I highlighted in my notes that I wanted to say that essentially I'm going to steal from you and I'm going mm-hmm. to be teaching in my program, which is that the only bad choice is no choice. Mm-hmm. And this is right. a lesson that I've learned very painfully physically over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, not to go too deep into the story. Most of my audience knows that you may know it for anybody that is listening for the first time. Um, I set the very audacious goal about five years ago of transforming from having an award-winning dad bod to becoming an American Ninja Warrior. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the most important lessons I've learned is that when you're going to do something, you have to commit. And there's a saying in American Ninja Warrior for anybody that's seen it, you know, you're swinging from bars 15 feet above water, like all of my greatest fears wrapped into one sport and I decided to do it. But there's a saying that's called send it. If you're going to swing 10 feet from one bar to another 15 feet in the air, you can't kind of sort of do it. Well, I'll give it a try. It's like you're either totally sending it or you're wet. Yep. And that's a lesson that I've really taken into life. And I really think the best way to codify that is that the only bad choice is no choice. Right. Either you're swinging or you're yep. not swinging. There is no middle ground. Yeah, it's commitment. It really is commitment. And I say the same thing in relationships. Same thing. I mean, people ask me, I've been married 35 years. What's the secret? You get that on your talk show when you have four minutes. And and then you have to answer that that question. But it's... um. You know, it is it is commitment. It is work. So it's more than just stick to itiveness. It's certainly that it's so easy in the now generation is like not my job, not my thing. Don't you tell me I'm out of here. Them, you know, that I I came from, you know, my parents stuck it through and they're still married. They're 85. They'll be 85 uh, this year. And uh, so I saw that and and not it's not always, uh, you know, roses and um you know, I with my wife and I, I just believe that we. It's just so clear that we're we're soulmates is such an overstated thing, but we are meant. It's meant to be, and even those times that it feels less than easy over thirty five plus years, it's still all worth working for because when it's cohesive and together, that's it's the richest of rich, um, and it's so easy. To, to take all the shrapnel that comes out of life every day, be it society, be it politics, be it work, be it bullying. And I'm not just talking kid bullying, bullying in the office place in the, in the streets. And, you know, um, it's, you, it, it, it takes, it, it almost takes two to get through it if you can. Um, but then you also still, and I'm probably rambling on, you still need to love yourself and it's gotta be, you know, you can't, it's not the other person that makes that work. It's, it's the both of you. And that's, that's been a strength for me. Um, and, uh, and especially in what I do where I'm away for X amount of months of uh, time and, or I'm working and have a nice salary one year and the next year it looks like, you know, it's, it's, I'm just trying to string it together. And it's, you know, it was the nursing salary that got us through that year. Thank thank Thanks for that. You know, so. Well, the, the, this idea that you need to surround yourself with others, I think, uh, goes into another theme that I want to talk about next. Uh, and I want to put a pin in because I want to finish up this work-life balance mm-hmm. conversation. But sure. it's that of surrounding yourself with mentors, which clearly mentorship is, if it's not the theme, it's one of the main themes of this entire yeah. saga. But the one thing that I want to point out very quickly that you just said that I think is so important is that especially with the the height of Cobra Kai's success and how rigorous the shooting schedule is, like, what you guys are put through on a daily basis when I see these call sheets, like mostly yeah. I look at a call sheet. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like they're getting yeah. all these pages today. Like it's insane yeah. what it's you guys, guys are asked to do. I don't believe that today, especially with the kind of schedule you have where it's four or five months in Atlanta and then you go home, but then you're on publicity. I just yeah. don't think it's possible for work-life balance to even be a thing anymore. Yeah. I think it's more about this idea of strategic imbalance where you've mm-hmm. committed to the family, you've committed to the wife and the 
the kids, mm -hmm. but you know there's going to be a strategic imbalance for a period of time where right now I'm in Daniel LaRusso mode. My focus yeah. is on this. I haven't forgotten about you. You're equally important to me, but at least right now, my presence Mm -hmm. is with the show. But my guess is that when you're not working on the show, it's family first, it's kids first, it's wife first, right? So mm -hmm. I believe it's much more important. And I'm kind of workshopping this with you because I'm mm -hmm. trying to, to really find a better way to define it. Work-life balance is outdated. And I think it's the idea of working towards more work-life presence. And that yeah. idea of commitment, I'm committing to this thing now, this is still a priority, but I've built the the relationship such that I'm sure that after you know three or four months being in Atlanta, it's now like, ah, screw this. It's like, you know, that the relationship is there and it's going to come back to, and everybody's going to work it out. But you, you have to be present with each of those things in order to make it work. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's interesting because you, you know, after, um, you know, I think it was season two was when I came home and this, this happened. Um, you know, you get used to four months, four and a half months of what it is, click that remote and put the TV on and whatever you want stays and you change it again and you change it back or you make your coffee now or you leave your pajamas out on the bed or your toothpaste thing off and the cap on the thing. And you sort of have this single man's life, single person's life. And then you get home. It was interesting at season two, you know, just, just not having that freedom. I was not so pleasant for a few weeks you know, having to be back in the team game. And it just, it was a real wake up. And every time I come back from a season or a publicity tour or the book tour, which I'm still in now, you just become self-absorbed. It's very hard not to. What have I been doing for the last four weeks? Talking about me, you know, on camera, hotel rooms and cars and, and planes and first class and all this stuff. And everybody cheers and you walk in to do a book signing is a thousand people with their books and they're screaming like I'm in Beatlemania. And it's just, um, and then you come home and there's a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an odd thing to have to detox yourself from that. Um, you're not always the most pleasant to be with and I'm conscientious, but still I'm tired um, you're caught up. You're trying to keep all these balls in the air at this point. Because six years ago, there was one balloon sort of floating. Now I have 10 of them full of helium and I'm just trying to keep them all, you know, in my in my hand. And so, I mean, it's constantly, listen, I'm, you know, I'm I'm learning every day. Learning every day. As soon as you say you have it all figured out. I mean, there are things I feel I've processed through and I feel confident and my decision making is, I mean, certainly with the Karate Kid, I mean, when you look at the decisions I've made in these 38 years, it seems like I've almost done everything right. A lot of that is luck <laughs> and, and, and and being surrounded by extremely talented people. Um, but writing the book was, this is the time. Why is this the time? We were going into a pandemic. I had the time. The show was relevant I had now two, I could speak of yesterday and today and tomorrow. That that all of a sudden opened up the book. It was just like me talking about, you want to write about a movie that turned out to be an iconic thing? That's one thing. But I, I there are actually times I would not want to hand it in because I said, wait, we're shooting something this week. I may have a new story, you know, that might pertain to something that I already wrote about in chapter two that would make sense. And that was kind of interesting how it lives and breathes i know i'm segueing in and out of things so you can reel me back in but 
I'm hopefully I'm offering because it's unique, you know, it's unique. Well, Good thing is I have some experience editing you. So um, (laughs) to be perfectly honest, I'm not going to edit any of it because I just I love all of this conversation. But if I ever Mm -hmm. needed to, I have a, a, you know, four years of experience on my resume of editing together Ralph Macchio. Um, But I think what what always tends to happen when I'm doing these conversations and I don't do interviews, I don't like having a list of here are the questions. Here's the agenda because I like to see where they evolve Mm -hmm. and where this has evolved for me is a very interesting place. And where I think it's evolved for you is kind of in a relatively whether subconscious or not a similar matter, which is why is it that it's the anti-E-True Hollywood story instead of the E-True Hollywood story? And I think you're really dissecting, given the all of the opportunities you've had to be derailed by the book tours, by the red carpets, by the money, by the success. I mean, for a period of time, you were probably the most recognizable, if not one of the most recognizable stars in the world in an iconic film. You very mm-hmm. easily could have gone down a deep, dark hole, which brings me back to when I one of the most important themes of both these movies and the show, but also your book is mentorship. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that you have a lot of positive influences and voices in your head, whether fictional or otherwise, or fictional voices that have become non-fictional and the voice of Mr. Miyagi or others, mm-hmm. where really the, the longevity of your career and the fact that you didn't have the E-True Hollywood story, you surrounded mm-hmm. yourself with the right people and the right voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and some of that, you know, some of that's not completely by design. You know, I'd love to say that was my plan. And I, I you know, even, I mean, just in how I've been able to, you know, be a family man, dad, husband, um and uh and really close with my kids and my wife the four of us i mean i call us the core four you know for me that's that's paramount everything else is awesome but that's you know there's one focus it's just like this this image the core four is me and the background back there is everybody else and i'll bring them into focus when i need it but it's really about you know this you know as a as a as a visual for those of you who are on watching this instead of just listening but um i have my background blurred so you're not confused anymore but it's a, um, it's a great metaphor for anybody watching the video version for th- sure that's right that's right so um uh where was i where was i doctor yeah so uh, well, well, i, I want to <laughs> dig a little bit uh, deeper into this idea of mentorship and surrounding yourself with the right yeah, yeah, people yeah because a, so, a core component of what I do with the Optimize Yourself program is I help people better understand how to surround themselves with the right people and the right voices and develop mentors and make sure that they realize whatever journey I'm on, it doesn't matter what the goal is, I don't have to do it alone. There are Mm -hmm. people that have traversed it before. And if there was one person on the planet that I need to ask this next question is you, because there's nobody that can answer better than you. What I've essentially done is I've broken down mentorship into three distinct phases so I can kind of take the the edge off for people that are intimidated. And I talk about how a lot of people just need a meet and greet mentor, just somebody you can talk to that can answer a few questions, fill some knowledge gaps, help you along the path. Then there's the Sherpa mentor. And the Sherpa mentor is somebody that's probably walked the path before. And every once in a while, you just need to have them point out the pitfalls, whether it's every six months, every year. Hey, I've got a challenge or a struggle. Can you help me through it? And then, of course, there is what I have called the Miyagi mentor. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, I uh, we'll, can get your blessing in using that term. Mm-hmm. But people always ask me, how do you define what a Miyagi mentor is versus the other types? Mm-hmm. I'd like to know how you would define a Miyagi mentor. Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I think, 
you know, you break you break it down those three those three types because one is sort of almost like a sounding board. You know, someone who's just there as you know, sometimes you need someone that just is there to listen and you know they're listening. And then you have those ones that give you those Miyagiisms, those uh deep rooted philosophies and what and then the the under the ability to for you to understand where it comes from. Go back to the same. Let's go back to the left side, right side, middle, squish like great. That that is a Miyagi uh, mentor line, certainly for for the, you know, using it as an example, and one that that clearly comes from uh, a place of wisdom and experience, and then you have to find your own way to apply it to your life. Okay, where it you know in the movie, say, let's I mean, since we're talking about it, in the movie it was about karate do. Yes, karate to no, karate to guess so, get squished like great. In my life at that point, it was it uh, it was a clear choice for a television series at the time to either commit to that or not commit to that or living in New York or living in L.A. and bringing my wife or leaving my wife home. And we just had our daughter at the time. And all that was just I wasn't committing one way then everyone was losing. And so. But that's different than karate do yes, karate do no, karate do guess so. But it's the wisdom of which comes out of that. That's what I would call Miyagi mentorship that and the self-discovery and applying it to something that is happening for you. I mean, I guess that's my the clearest way that I would describe the difference than than just having the big brother or the the someone. And not that that is not important. I mean, it's great to have that mentor as well. Um, so that that's the the difference. I guess it's the wisdom and 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 experience that that it, that the lessons can be applied based in philosophy. Um, and um, and there's so many of them, you know, in the in that movie um, that that um, there's so many. And they they keep pulling more as season after season of Cobra Guys. Oh yeah, I forgot that line. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's funny you say the, they because it's actually a lot of we. Right, because yeah, that's, that's the, sure. the, I've I, that's one of those reasons again where people ask me why do you think Cobra Kai works, and I mm-hmm. think one of the reasons that it works just to you know be totally self promotional is because the people that work on it behind the scenes are absolutely devout fanatics mm-hmm. of the original film. So at any yeah. moment I can be cutting a scene in Cobra Kai and be like, oh, this is just like that Miyagiism from the 47th minute of the original Karate Kid. Let me right. pull this image. Or, you know, we also have the the benefit of going into the yes. original dailies, which you want to talk about one of the best days of my career. I know, Here are the man. raw dailies of the entire fight with Johnny at the end of the original film. I'm like, I'm it's, getting paid to watch this. Are I you know, kidding me? Great. Just got the, it's like Willy Wonka gave you the, the golden tip. Ticket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that is incredible. And and listen, and there's what's so beautiful about that stuff, uh, especially uh, that scene is, you know, by just changing the edits, you know, and I write this in the book, you know, it was always a low and wide shot that was very ho- heroic. You know, it was never cut. We shot it a zillion different ways. And then in the opening of Cobra Kai, you have these tight shots of the foot and Johnny's head going back. All of a sudden, you're feeling the impact of this kick from the perspective of the person being kicked as opposed to this wide, beautiful, cinematic bird in flight. Bad guy gets it and uh, to the victor, you know, goes spoils. It's just um, it's that's the beauty of editing. I mean, editing is the best part of it all. 
Yeah, well, tell me about it. That's why I sit in my small dark room and get to relive all my childhood memories. It's the greatest anything. I love love editing. It's just, you know, it's just, it's that point, the toughest part of editing um, is, you know, it's the old, I guess it was George Lucas, movies are never finished, they're only abandoned. And in the editing room is when you have to make that decision. And that's one tough day. You know, there's yeah. always another road to try, but budget usually winds up doing it for you. <laughs> you're out of time and you're out of money. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, exactly. So like you said, um, I consider myself a uh, recovering perfectionist. Um, right. And I would Boom, say that the, in, in general, the, the most controlling creative people on the planet all become editors because we want to control and manipulate everything. So yeah. I very much have very similar afflictions. And I think what you bring up about this idea of everyone's perspective of the karate kid, low and wide, Daniel's the hero. All of a sudden we cut to the close ups, perspective shifts. That's mm-hmm. exactly what Cobra Kai was all about, was the perspective yep. shift from the anti-hero to all of a sudden the hero and the shades of gray with who Daniel LaRusso mm-hmm. really is. And you never become the villain, obviously, but there's there's a lot more nuance to it than it was yeah. in the original films. And I think when it comes to perspective, this is something that I definitely want to dig into a little bit deeper with you. Not so much about the films itself, but about you and your perspective. Mm-hmm. I would guess and this is a topic I talk about all the time with my students and I talk about on the podcast, is that of pigeonholing. Mm-hmm. And what I generally say, and this does not apply in this instance, but in general, I believe that people don't get pigeonholed. They allow themselves to be pigeonholed because they continue to say yes to the same opportunities because they're too afraid to say no. Mm-hmm. You, my friend, were pigeonholed. <laughs> you took one opportunity and you had yeah. a three film contract yeah. and all of a sudden yeah. the rest of your life, you're Daniel LaRusso. Right. So with a little perspective, yeah. knowing all of the challenges that that may have caused, I would like to know right. kind of in a two part question. Number one, 
what did it kind of look like during the darker or the more lean years when you're like, mm-hmm. I just need to get out of the skin? Because I know you have and had much larger ambitions to do much more serious acting and be, mm-hmm. you know, Pacino or De Niro or kind of go in that direction. Mm-hmm. But knowing that, I'd love to know what some of the the darker years or leaner years might have mm-hmm. looked like. But then number two, if you had the opportunity to go back and change things, would you? Right. Great questions. Um, well, for me, the the leaner years, I mean, there was, you know, there was times. Here's what was amazing for me in looking back. The the leaner years were when my kids were born. So I was there, there all the time. The little league games, the dance recitals, the driving here, there, all that stuff. All that stuff that that's a window of time that is just like boom, it's gone. Um, so when I look back at that, like I said earlier, it wasn't by design, but it almost seems like it was perfect. I just had these bookends that I'm in this bookend of for the LaRusso of it all. I mean, there's certainly been plenty of work in between, you know, and I've had that, you know, almost come back 10 times, you know, and, and sometimes I would, you know, dive into writing uh, short films and directing and and screenplays and doing theater. And, and because it highly is sounds like it'd be creative. You know, it feeds my soul, not always the pocketbook, right? So um, when you get to do both, I mean, I, I people ask me, I see young actors, creative people say, any tips, any tips? And I was like, you always be creative. There will be that day you have to figure out whether you can make a living at it, but you can always be creative. So to never give up on that. But um, so the the tougher times for me was kind of when my kids were, I would say the early 2000s. Yeah, it was the early 2000s. I was making some, uh, I was, I was, I was shadowing some directors, um, made a short film that went to Sundance. And that was where, that was my creative juice. But I was, as far as acting was going, it was few and far between. The toughest time for me was before that when I was in the Karate Kid option. And I write to this one story, the Sidney Lumet story with Running on Empty, uh, which was not a film that was offered to me because you always got to watch clickbait. Um, and it was not offered, but there was a, a conversation started. And then the option was picked up for part three. And uh, and River Phoenix wound up, you know, playing the role beautifully and being nominated for an Oscar. And obviously we know his story, which is just tragic and 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 terrible. But but those were the those were the toughest times um, coming off of Broadway with De Niro before my cousin Vinny. And my cousin Vinny was sort of like, OK, we're it's but my cousin Vinny was not easy to get. They didn't want to see me for it. They I could not get in the room. Um, the studio was, uh, you know, more interested in whoever was hot at that time. And it was Ben Stiller and Will Smith, two guys in the South that would have changed the kind that kind of the story, especially since one of them was supposed to be the cousin of Joe Pesci. Um, but those were the, you know, those were the box checking that was going on at the studio at the time. So that was the most frustrating part, even though my cousin Vinny happened to that point, I was almost like, I wasn't even going in. It was almost like, fuck them. You know, I was, that's how I was starting, you know, the, the pigeonholing was so much just beginning in the early nineties. I mean, I know I alluded to the early two thousands, that's when it was the driest, but I was spending so much time with my family at that point. This was before that. So this was like, it was just a couple of years ago and now it's gone at that level. Um, So I was still processing how 
it was still new to me how difficult it was, you know, and whether it was having the outsiders and even Vinny at the time still didn't offset. That's the karate kid guy. I never, I, I, I always talk about this because I never, I never didn't talk to press or media or embrace the Daniel LaRusso and the karate kid of it all in the industry. I was fighting it, but never on the street. Because I felt it from the earliest point that this character was so beloved, so inspirational to so many people. People remember where they saw the movie, that they would watch it with their dad every couple of weeks. They they were they you know they were raised by a, a single mom, you know, fatherless teen, fish out of water, moved to a new town. I get these stories all the time. I get these. You know, tears in the eyes, this character changed my life. He gave me the inspiration to, he was the every kid next door who had no business winning anything, right? So he could, we could all be aspire to be that. Um, and so I knew that from an early stage. So I never poo-pooed it, you know, like I'm not going to talk, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do Zach's podcast, but I don't want to talk about the Karate Kid, okay? Just anything. I'm, I was on the Deuce with David Simon show. It was awesome. I was on Broadway with De Niro. Let's talk about that. I was in My Cousin Vinny, one of the greatest, best American comedies ever made, but I'm not going to talk about the Karate Kid. That makes no sense to me. And I'm proud that I've always, I never, there were times I wouldn't lead with it, but I'd never, because you hear certain actors, they won't do the, they won't do the interview if you're going to bring that up. That makes no sense to me in the shoes I've walked. And I'm very proud that I've done that throughout. And now I look like, you know, a genius because it's, it's you know, it's not that. It's just, you know, um, understanding and knowing knowing the, the, the difference, you know, knowing that it makes such a difference. But, you know, the frustration to... Um, you know, during that time where I said, boy, this is kind of over. There was a desperation when I would audition. Um, that was new for me. I'd be, I'd have the, you know, the heart rate would go up. I, I used to walk in the rooms. I'd get the parts. I'd even not, not try and I'd get the part in the early stage. You know, I looked young for my age. I hit my mark. I was prepared. I'd love to be prepared. I'm still that way. I hate to be late. They're like, you know, check, check, check. And he's 18 already. Awesome. He'll play the next 13 year old on this show. You know, so it was easier and I paid my dues later, if you will. Um, but then, you know, that was the toughest part is like a network test for a TV series and waiting that hour when you have to sign your contract before you walk in the room and feeling that pressure. That was the toughest part for me. And then not getting it, which is more often what was happening at that time when back five years, six years ago, that's I I got most most all. Um so that was that's to answer your first uh, the first part of the question. And so the second part of the question is what would I would I change it now? Of course mm -hmm. not. Of course not. I mean, look, look where look where I uh, am. Would I would I have wanted that role in my 20s that would have been, the you know, the, the running on empty role or say that what I did with De Niro on Broadway, would I have loved to have that role in a film? Yes, but, um, you know, the career would be different. I would be different. I may have, you know, um, that would be, I, mean, I guess you could argue that would be the perfect world if I could have all that and this again. But, you know, who knows what my family life would have been? Who knows what my, how my kids would have been? I mean, that, that's, that's an, 
that's a, 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 a you know a tough question because you'd have to you need a crystal ball. But for the most part, I would I would be foolish to say I wish I didn't have all that difficult time in the middle because there's very few places, and this is part Daniel Larusso. I think part of this is the, my sensibilities uh, as well. I always said I've spoke. I felt more the more the local hero than the celebrity in in '84, and I still feel that way. And when I on this book tour or on at a comic con or at a, a screening, and I walk in or at a at a football at the Jet game or the Met game or the Islanders game when they throw me up on the jumbotron, and you know it's a big it's a big warm roar of happiness. That's you know. So why would I change what's in the middle? Yeah, I, I love that. And being able to reframe everything in the middle as part of defining who you are. We all need that struggle and need to yep. face the tough choices. And given that uh, whether or not Cobra Kai becomes the next, you know, MCU and we have spinoff after spinoff after spinoff, it's pretty clear that we're getting, and by the way, no insider information whatsoever, saying this is a fan, not somebody that works on the show, but we're getting towards the tail end of Cobra Kai. Yep. At some point, you're yep. handing the baton off, which mm -hmm. means that at this point, you're probably handing off Daniel LaRusso, at least as a main figurehead character. Mm -hmm. So given your very, very young age, having your entire career ahead of you, what do you want to do with the next phase? Hmm. You're giving my very young age now? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the very, very young spry age. One yes, of the lessons right. that I've learned from my Ninja Warrior training and also from, you know, watching you and working with you, albeit indirectly. Um, but when I've worked out for Ninja, I've worked out with a guy named Tony Horton, who's the creator of the P90X program. He's my Mr. Miyagi. I've worked out with right. him every week for almost five years. And what I've learned from him is that we don't choose whether or not we get older we very mm -hmm. much choose whether or not we get old. And it just seems mm -hmm. to me you've made the choice that I, I don't want to get old, but you're going to get older. But you've got right. an entire another phase of your career ahead of you. Yeah. So what do you want to yeah. do with it? Um, what I do enjoy, and obviously, listen, I love to, you know, I was I mentioned the show The Deuce, right, that I was on uh, David Simon's show. It was about the birth of the porn industry in New York City in the 70s. First season was 72, second season 78, last season was 86. It was defined that way. And I played a very small part, but I was in 17 of the 23 episodes um, as this, you know, crooked cop at that time in New York City as they all were taking money under the table. And, um, you know, it was so much fun to be in this behavioral type of show where the nuances, it was the anti-acting style of Cobra Kai. Um where Cobra Kai, you know, you're you're even though you're not telegraphing, you're kind of telegraphing where your next scene is going when you say, you know, you tell you tell I tell Samantha that she should do this. And I realize by saying that maybe I should do that. And then I get that look and then I'm walking up to Johnny Lawrence's apartment. You know, the deuce was anytime I did anything like that, they cut and they said, what are you what are you telling us that for? You know, because and I I get it. And it's not to short side one or the other. It's just a different there's a heightened reality to Cobra. I mean, obviously snakes in the dealership and the 405 <laughs> and the five freeway and the 101. It all stops there. I personally would probably just move to, you know, Santa Barbara and take up a different sport. I'd be fine. I'd not have any problem. <laughs> but that's not a cool show. And that's not the greatest thing in the world, which is what Cobra Kai is. But so anyway, alluding to the deuce is like a show is like a a, a world, a the the fabric of the behavioral 
um, that was very New York. And I grew up in that time. And I remember my dad wearing those suits and those ties. And I remember what it smelled like in New York City. And I, I, you know, I enjoyed doing my little, little part in that show. So I would, I would embrace not necessarily that specifically, but something in that that world, ensemble world, not necessarily. Although now Billy and I talk that we we know we can play two detectives on a CBS show at nine o'clock. You know, like oh, I'd Husky, watch that. I'd Husky watch that in and, a second. Husky and Starch or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, but, I mean, you you, fr- you frankly had an episode just like yeah, that, where, you know, even made a like joke that. of that, and it's one of my yeah, favorite yeah, yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah, yeah. those moments. Exactly, exactly. But um, so I mean, as far as acting goes, um, um, some more theater. Certainly, I would love to get back to theater. Uh, more, more so just because I, I love the full entity of that. It's I haven't done it in a while, and there's a piece of me that wants to support it because it took such a hit over these past few years. Um, it really devastated that that world. They didn't get to still shoot their show during a pandemic. They had to go dark. So, some producing, writing. Um, I'd I'd write another book in a total other genre if this continues to be successful and with the holidays coming up, I'm hoping that this the book will become a stocking stud. It might be it might be that kind of thing, you know. It uh, uh Matthew Perry has a big book out now. It's a, it's the antithesis of of the waxing on book. And there's you know, the them, E true Hollywood story. Yeah, memoir, and it's right? that shoots, <laughs> you know, and that shoots straight to the the top of the list. But uh, we might will be that little engine that could that is like it's Christmas time let's read Machio's book about surviving uh this so i one of the things i enjoy uh, with cobra kai and, and also in writing the book is sharing these stories handy passing on the legacy the fact that i have 12 year old kids running up to me and know who mr miyagi is and want to know if he was cool or not you know and and uh and so so sharing sort of paying it all forward i enjoy doing that and i don't know what that means um, so as I get maybe not in the next five or 10 years, um, as I only get slightly older, but uh, maybe after that, that there might be, I don't know if teaching is probably the wrong thing, but maybe there's a, a place like with what you're doing with Optimize Yourself and uh, maybe not as big and broad as that, but I have something to offer, I think, in a positive way in a world that seems very negative very often. I think, you know, that's kind of a calling for me even when the book is doing that, you know, the book is a celebration of, of something that I, no matter what side of the aisle, as we talk on election day, where you sit, I think each blue or red, you could read this book and, and, and gain something from, you know, if you're expecting something bigger and super deep and it, you'll be disappointed. But um, I think going in, you know, the cover and what the, the synopsis is, you, you kind of know what you're getting. And I think that there'll be no, um, it should be embraced from all all sides. And uh, so maybe going forward, I get to do more of that in some way. I don't know what that is for sure. Well, I can we'll tell you for, next for certain um, that uh, there is always an opening uh, as a coach and mentor in the Optimize Yourself program, if that's what you're looking for. I can <laughs> okay. only imagine filling that slot and what we could do. Um, yeah. So I want to be very, very conscious of your time and respect mm-hmm. the fact that you've given me even this amount of time is just beyond my wildest dreams. Very much appreciate it. Um, I want to make sure that everybody that's listening, get the stocking stuffer, get uh, waxing on, share it with friends. Um, my wife was actually going to buy 
buy it for my birthday this year, saw that I had already purchased it to prepare for this interview. She's like, well, you blew that. But it would have been a gift for me. would have been a great one. Um, But uh, I definitely want to wrap it up. Before we do, is there anything that I haven't mentioned or we haven't talked about that's really important for you to share before we uh, we move on? Um, I don't think so. I don't think I mean, I liked the, some of the places we went and I liked, uh, you know, diving deeper into to areas, just some personal areas that I think would, um, you know, it, it's it sort of shows shows a side of me that you don't always hear. And um, and I think that that's. Um, you know, I mean, there's not there's not a specific um, outside of the fact that I've been doing, you know, four, six weeks of interviews all day, almost every day. And me being a little burnt, I think that um, I think this felt fresh and and original, which is nice. And thank you for that. Good. That that was yeah. my goal. I wanted you to enjoy this and not have it be just another interview on your schedule. And it warms my heart to know that uh, I was able to achieve that, given just the endless monotony of one interview after another after another. Um, so I was glad that I was able to, to give you that breath of fresh air. Um, cannot thank you enough for all the knowledge that you have imparted. I'm glad that the version of you that you got to share today is the one that I get to see every single day, you know, before <laughs> they call action and after they call cut, I get to be a part of that, even if it's just through my screen. My little um, neuroticisms uh-huh, that happen. But, you you know, know, living in the pastels and, you know, really yeah. digging into the nuances and so many, without you knowing and without us being physically on set, lots of lessons that I've learned through the screen, you know, working with you indirectly and can't thank you enough for everything you've imparted for me and now shared with our audience. Like this means the world to me. Cannot thank, thank you, you enough. So I really appreciate this, Ralph. Oh, this is great. This is great. It's a love fest and I'm I'm glad that there's been, you know, it's it's a two-way street. It's the same thing I talk about with uh, the, this character and this journey that I've had. I really get, I'm I'm inspired with what what I get back, and that's uh, it. It really is a two-way street of inspiration, and it, it's awesome. And like I said, I let off with thank you for your your work and participation in the show. Um, it's it's the most collaborative art form on the planet. What we do, and especially on the budget and the schedule that you're handed insane so thank you for that and uh hopefully there'll be plenty more to come waxing on available pretty much everywhere any place you want to send people whether it's a website social anywhere you want to send people other than waxing on you can pretty much get any bookstore amazon online it's everywhere yeah all right brother all right thanks so much really appreciate thanks so it, much Ralph. you I'll take see care you in los angeles if you if you don't get to new york first yeah you will all right, all right. Man, thanks you have a thanks, good Jack. one yeah thank you okay you too all right bye-bye bye-bye Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.